welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Psalm 119, verse 160, the New International Version. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and faithful in all He does. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. Psalm 145, verses 17 and 18, the New International Version. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. The Gospel of John, chapter 18, verse 37, the New International Version. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm Victoria Kay, here in the studio today with R.D. Fierro, author and founder of Crystal Sea Books. Today we're going to listen to another humor piece from Life Lessons with a Laugh, brought to you by Crystal Sea. What's keyed up for today, R.D.? Today we're going to hear the second episode from our Life Lessons with a Laugh series about the story of Noah and the Ark. Uh, and again, the story is a very well-known story, but I think that today's episode may point out a couple of details that people sometimes gloss over just with a casual reading of the story. Sounds intriguing. Let's get started. Hi, I'm R.D. Fierro from Crystal Sea Books. On location near a serenely seamless seaside scene, savoring the softly setting sun as it settles into the surf. We're here to indulge in a bit of seaside camping and glamping to add a touch of authentic flavor to our series on life lessons from the story of Noel and the Ark. I think you mean Noah. Sure, that's what I called the boat, dude. Except for a couple of different letters. And I'm not sure why camping authenticity included you getting the only cot last night. There were beach critters using my shorts for shelter. Anyway, I'm here with that salty sea dog whose silhouette sets off shivers in the spines of scallops, squid, and shrimp. Uh, 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 Wait now, none of them have backbones. And the name you're looking for is Jerry. Right, Gervertebrate. Jerry. Uh, But let's not dwell on slight variations in your preferred nomenclature and just visually feast on the bounteous beauty before you as we think about what no art might have seen from the ark. You mean before or after the 40 continuous days of gale-like conditions? Eh, tut tut, Jerry Kane. As the old saying goes, if you want rainbows, you have to put up with a little rain. A little rain? Dude, what squid ink have you been squirting? The Bible says the floodgates of the sky were open. Not to mention that fountains of the great deep 
also burst open. Well, Jerichane, you do have a valid point. The Bible says that the floodwaters came upon the earth and that all the flesh on the earth perished. After it did, I suspect most folks would have been doing the rainbow regret rap. Blue sky went bye-bye, gray sky then arrived, water rising way too high, green land not so dry, brown boat floating fine, should have heated Noah's light, yellow sun gone to bed, brian eyes now turning red, purple faces all you see, Paul that's telling me. I got it. Let me give it a try. Here we go. Blue sky went bye-bye, gray sky then arrived, water rising way too high, green land not so dry, brown boat floating fine, should have heated Noah's line, yellow sun gone to bed, crying eyes now turning red, purple faces all you see, all that's telling me. If God sends a sign, best always get in line. If God sends a sign, best always get in line. Get in line. Get in line. But did you ever notice that before the rains ever started, the Lord had a plan to replenish the earth with life? And as amazing as it is to us today, that plan included Noah becoming a father when he was over 500 years old. Whoa. Talk about waiting to have kids. That's really waiting. I barely had the energy for kids when I was in my 20s. Well, turns out that even at 500, Noah was only middle-aged. He eventually lived to be 950 years old. Woo! I hope he had a good financial planner. That's a long time for your retirement money to hold out. Uh, Not sure about that, Jeremula. I'm not an expert on mid-third millennial BC investment strategies or financial derivatives. What I do know is that it's a good thing that Noah decided to go ahead and indulge in purposeful, positive parental procreation, because I suspect his sons were pretty important in helping him build the ark. True that. There's a lot that goes into boat building that's way easier with a crew than by yourself. Like positioning the big screen TV in the lounge. Hard to do it if you have to keep jumping up to adjust it. I don't think the ark had a big screen, my luxury-oriented friend. After all, there were limited channels in those days, and likely most of them were off the air during the time the water was, you know, covering everything. Still, if we had more light, we could easily see the point you're making. Lots of the work necessary to finish the ark would have been easier with the kids helping. The big trick would have been to keep everyone organized. Man, we have hard enough time coordinating Thanksgiving dinner at my house. Six pumpkin pies again? Did anyone bring vegetables? I did. I hope everyone likes garlic, Brussels sprouts, and zesty cauliflower florets. Anywho, the Bible says that Noah had three sons after the age of 500, and his sons all got married. So even though Noah usually gets top billing in the promotional literature, building the ark was really a family affair. Interesting. I never thought about that. Makes me feel all warm and drippy. Ooh, like those marshmallows we toasted on sticks last night. I agree completely about the marshmallows. The big point is that when the Lord decided to save Noah, his nautical blueprint 
also included Noah's family. So you see how having strong, close families is part of the Lord's plan, right? Absolutely. Families that work and pray together are able to do things that would be impossible for them to accomplish without each other. So right, Jeremax. So right. Your insights shine so fine, they're like a divine sign from a diamond mine. Hey, where's all that light coming from? And speaking of family, R.G. Uh, it, it's, it's R.D. And wait, is that a bus pulling into the parking lot? Not quite, R.D. Not quite. That's my brother-in-law in his music star quality motorhome. Tonight, you can keep the cot. He's got three double beds in that thing. Oh, and a big screen. Yeah, so much for my night vision of authentic Crystal Seaside fare and flair. Well, R.D., when the seas roared, Noah climbed on board where the victuals were stored. So he enjoyed his reward and gave praise to the Lord. Now I'm going to do the same. Again, Chair Electric, you have grabbed extra scoops of creamy wisdom from the freezer of that big stainless steel refrigerator of biblical truth. The secret is to get one with the roll-out drawers so you can always reach the stuff in the back without getting freezy fingers. Well, that's it from Jeremy. Oh, and it's still Jerry. Me, R.D., and the whole Crystal Sea, formerly Beach Crew for today. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where... We're not famous... But our boss is. So, you're still coming up with new names for Jerry. But they do seem to fit the points under discussion. I kind of like Jerricane. But I'm sure the weather that accompanied the arrival of the flood isn't what you were referring to when you said there were details about the story you wanted listeners to re-examine. Well, thankfully Jerry is a really good sport about my challenges with names. But you're right, the uh, weather that accompanied the flood wasn't exactly what I wanted to spend today on. There were two principles that I wanted specifically to bring to the listener's attention today. First, of course, is the importance of families in God's overall plans, and especially His plans for redemption. Because as the humor episode pointed out, it would have been a lot harder for Noah if he had had to build the ark by himself. And of course, him having had a family that he'd brought with him on the boat made the year that they spent in the ark immeasurably more tolerable for all of them, as well as, of course, serving as the basis for repopulating the human portion of the earth. Of course, the second thing that I want to start talking about today, and we're going to be continuing to talk about this through some future lessons, is that the Bible treats the story of Noah as a literally true historical event. It treats the story of Noah as if it is true in history, in much the same way that we would treat going to the grocery store and buying milk. If someone doesn't go to the store to buy milk, there's no milk in the fridge. There are a lot of people, of course, who believe that the story of Noah, because of the fantastic elements of it, a massive flood, a huge boat, animals going into it that will be used to reestablish the animal populations on the earth. They treat the story as if it is mythological or allegorical, but that's not at all how the Bible treats the story. The Bible treats it as a story of historical truth, and if it was not a story of historical truth, then that would pose particular problems for other parts of the Bible. So today I want to begin what I think will be a continuing discussion on a lot of our shows, which is a discussion about the truth of the Bible and how that truth pertains to our lives and salvation. 
Well, in a culture where we're confronted by relativism on every corner, a discussion about the truth of the Bible sounds like it will be very challenging. Where do you want to begin? Well, let's start by talking about how the story of Noah is linked to the grand saga of redemption. In other words, talk about how the story of Noah, which you could think of as being just one of the stories in the Bible, is linked to the really big story. You mean beyond just the fact that if Noah hadn't built the ark, all of humanity would have perished, so that would have ended the story of redemption fairly quickly? Yes. But beyond that, Jesus compared the situation that will exist on earth just before his return to the situation that was on earth just before the flood. Let's listen to that part of the scripture out of the Gospel of Matthew. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So when Jesus did so, He removed any doubt as to whether or not the Genesis 6 flood event, in his mind, was a historical event, as opposed to just being an allegorical tale or a teaching story. Jesus referred to Noah as a real person. He said that the people of that day were having parties and going to banquets. They were having weddings. In other words, the people of Noah's day were living their lives in a real world, and they were unfortunately very unconcerned about the consequences that were looming on the horizon, because Noah had undoubtedly told his neighbors that a massive flood was coming, probably hoping that some of them would make their own preparations, but they didn't. They chose to ignore his warnings, and as a result, everybody but Noah and his family perished. But even more than that, Christians, when we talk about Jesus as being our Savior, as being our Messiah, sometimes people are confused and thinking that we're talking about Jesus as being a good man. Well, Jesus was, of course, a good man, but even beyond that, Christians claim that Jesus was perfect because Christians claim that Jesus was and is God. And as God, Jesus is incapable of error. So if Jesus were mistaken about the historical nature of the Noah Ark flood story, if Jesus was mistaken about that, that would mean that Jesus was capable of error. And if Jesus was capable of error, then Jesus would be disqualified from being our Savior because there was no way that Jesus could be perfect. So if the Noah flood story is not true, then Jesus has committed an error in relating his own future return to the story of Noah. So Jesus would become disqualified from being our Savior. And obviously the implications of that would be very grave. Now, of course, let me hasten to say Jesus was not mistaken about the character and nature of the flood story in the ark. It was an event in literal history. We believe and will show through some of the future shows that there is ample scientific and historical evidence that the flood story is true, demonstrating that Jesus did not make an error when he cited it with respect to his own return, and therefore we can still confidently maintain our claim that Jesus was perfect, that when he spoke, never made a mistake and never made an error. 
So that's one of the reasons you wanted to use the Life Lesson series on Noah as part of Anchored by Truth. Because besides being well-known and entertaining, the story of Noah has implications for many of the larger issues we want to discuss. Exactly. As I was just mentioning, if the story of Noah isn't true, then Jesus would be disqualified from being our Savior. But if the story of Noah is true, then Jesus has once again validated a part of the Bible's history that is sometimes under contest, and we can use Jesus' validation as further demonstration of the truth of the story of Noah. But of course you hear people say things like, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. You do hear that quite a bit today, and, and I think it's unfortunate, because when people say that, they are subtly transforming the meaning of the word truth. They're changing the meaning of the word truth from the way it has been classically understood. They're using the phrase, my truth, not so much to mean actual truth as to refer to their opinion or to a preference. Historically, when people have talked about something being true, that hasn't been used in the nature of expressing an opinion or a preference. Of course, we all have opinions and we all have preferences, and it's perfectly reasonable as human beings to have opinions and preferences. But historically, when we've talked about something being the truth, we weren't referring to just opinion or preference. Okay, so what is truth? Well, simply put, truth is that which corresponds to reality. And it really isn't any more complicated than that. But the opening scripture verse that we had from John, John 14.6, Pilate illustrated this human tendency to think that in some situations we can either negotiate with reality or at least that it is very difficult to know what a particular reality or truth is. I think that's an important observation. Sometimes it's hard to determine the truth in certain specific instances. Can the truth about God be known? After all, there are a huge number of different ideas about God, and even about whether God, or any God, exists at all. Yes, I certainly believe that we can know true things about God, but again, We have to distinguish between our opinions or preferences about God from the reality of God as He is. As I mentioned, if I have a preference that God exists, but God does not exist, then my preference that He should exist won't create Him. By the same token, if God does exist, a preference that He not exist won't extinguish Him. Also, God in His reality, God in His real essence, possesses certain attributes. And we may or may not like those attributes. We may or may not agree with those attributes in the sense of how that would affect a relationship between that God and me. Many people would prefer a God who never judges anyone or holds anyone accountable. But if in his nature, God is a God of holiness and righteousness, then a preference that God not be a God that holds people accountable for their individual actions would not change the nature of that God. Now, there's a couple of caveats that we need to make sure are clear. First is that God is infinite. Man is finite. So a finite being will never be able to exhaustively or comprehensively understand an infinite being. Man will never comprehensively or exhaustively understand God. A finite being simply does not have the capacity. No finite being does. An angel does not. No individual angels No man, no group of men, no group of finite beings can ever possess a comprehensive knowledge of an infinite being. 
and God is infinite. So our knowledge about God will always have some limitations, but that does not mean that we cannot know true things about that infinite being. The second caveat that we need to make sure is clear is that it's important to distinguish between the subjective and objective awareness of God. The difference between subjective and objective is roughly the difference between an internal or an external perspective, or the difference between how our individual preferences, opinions, emotions, ideas, concepts, perspectives, the difference between how we perceive or think about God from a subjective and internal perspective vis-a-vis how God is objectively. And so it's important for us, if we're going to think about God and think about true knowledge of God, to try as much as possible to ensure that the source that we're going to is objective, at least in a part of that analysis. It's never going to be entirely objective because we're going to always have a subjective perspective, even on things that we try to verify objectively. But as much as possible, we should seek for an objective awareness of God and seek to use our intellect, not just our feelings and emotions, to understand Him. So, what you're getting at is that some people assert that we can only know God through subjective means, through our feelings and experiences, but you don't believe this is true. At a minimum, we can know the God of the Bible through His work and His Word. It's tempting to say that since God is unseen and unheard in our day, that we can't be certain that He is actually there. But you don't agree with that. No, I don't. If you ask a husband or a wife whether or not they love their spouse, hopefully they'll say yes, but then you can answer very quickly, how can you prove that you love them? If all that the spouse had to demonstrate their love were their feelings, well, they might be hard-pressed to prove their love, but generally, there's going to be more evidence to demonstrate, in fact, that that love exists. There'll be gestures or notes or expressions of concern presence through the years, or cooking meals, or going out and spending time together, all those external expressions would be objective evidence that other people could see that would demonstrate the validity of the subjective assertion that they love their spouse, even though other people cannot directly perceive that emotion of love. In a similar way, God can be known through His work and through His Word. Said a little differently, God is the ultimate cause, can be known by his effect. He can be known by his creation, he can be known by his activity during the history of that creation, and he can be known by his word. The Bible, as the revelation of God through individual authors to his world, to his people, and also through the living expression of the word, Jesus. So those are things that we want to focus on as we go through our life lessons with the laugh not just about Noah, but also about others. We want to focus on the truth of God's Word, and we want to focus on the fact that the Bible's episodes, histories, and stories demonstrate a God who is active in history, a God who is present in His creation, and a God who takes a continuing interest in His creation. That's the same point that Paul made to the church in Corinth. Let's listen to a selection from chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, verses 12-19. through 19. New International Version. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, 
We are of all people most to be pitied. Yes, this scripture is a great illustration of the fact that Apostle Paul, when he was writing in the first century, was demonstrating that his faith and that the faith of the church at that time was based on evidence. Paul was making the argument that faith was not a leap of faith into a dark abyss, hoping that someone will catch you, but that there were visible observations that demonstrated that Christ, even though he had died, had been raised from the dead. Paul was saying that there were witnesses who had seen Christ. Paul was saying that he was a witness to the risen Christ. So Paul was stating that evidence is available to support the truth, the veracity of the Christian faith, and that the Christian faith is dependent upon specific truth and facts. Now, we can continue to pursue that truth and those facts, even though we're separated from Paul and his writings by a space of 2,000 years. That's what Anchored by Truth is all about, is helping to draw the awareness of current listeners back to the objective and factual basis of the truth of the Bible and the authenticity of the Christian faith. Sounds to me like a good time for a prayer. Today, for our closing prayer, how about if we pray for fathers in recognition of the upcoming Father's Day and in celebration of the One who is the Father of us all? A prayer for fathers. Lord God Almighty, you are the strength and stability of my life. In you we have the security of knowing that you love and accept us no matter what condition we are in when we come to you. Yet we also have the inspiration of knowing that you call us to live holy and pure lives. Your desire for each of us is to mature and become better citizens of your kingdom and better servants to our community. Thank you for being a God who loves us so much that you want the best for us. Lord, I come to you today to seek your blessing on my Father. In the Bible, you have invited us to call you Father, so we know that being a father is a role never to be taken lightly. I pray that you would help my father to be the kind of model that you want him to be, and that you would be the special power in his life that enables him to fulfill his role. I know that often my father struggles with so many competing priorities. He wants to be many things to many different people, and in our fallen world, none of us will ever live up fully to what we expect of ourselves. Help him to understand, Lord, that as long as he sets his heart on you and seeks first to be a faithful son to you, that all the other things will be added to his life. I pray for health and strength for my father. You know better than any of us when he is tired or hurt, so I pray that you would grant him healing, health, and restoration as he grows weary or ill. I pray that you would comfort him as he finds cares and troubles pressing about him. You know that my father wants to be a problem solver and take the burden from others' shoulders. Help him to do all he can, but I also pray that you would send him your peace when it's time for him to rest from his labor. I pray that you would surround him with friends and companions. I know that he loves being with family, and I pray that ours will always be a close one but I also know that there are times when he needs to be with good friends who can provide him with companionship that comes from a set of truly devoted friends. I pray that he would be a blessing to them, and they to him. 
You are truly our great Father. We know of your love and affection for us because you sent your Son to tell us about you and then ordained that he should die to save us. We are awed by his great love and yours. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where we're not famous, but our boss is.